Well, uh, as you probably guessed, I grew up uh, in a Christian home. I, uh, we grew up in South Africa. If you're not familiar, we were you know, born and raised in South Africa. And uh, as a child in our church, we saw miracles happen frequently, almost every Sunday. People were prayed for, come out of wheelchairs, blind eyes open, deaf ears open. It was just pretty much a normal occurrence there. Uh, So much so that we had a wall in our church that had everything hanging on it that people had been healed from. Wheelchairs, crutches, eye patches, hearing aids, you name it, it was there. We just, that's just how it operated. The gifts operated very freely there. I grew up not knowing anything different. And so I also grew up knowing that God is real. You know, there was no question for me. When we came to America, things changed a little bit. Um, you, we can go in a whole discussion about that as to why things might be a little bit different here, but that's for another time. But uh, I went on to, to university, and then I went on to uh, working, and many of you know I was an art auctioneer, so I traveled the world internationally selling art, and a lot of this was done on the cruise ships. And I was about 23 years old, maybe, and I was having a discussion with this lady on board. She was one of the guest entertainer singers. She's much older than me at the time. She was probably 50. I was, you know, 23. And she, we started talking and told her I was a Christian and believer and this and that, and she was Jewish. And she said, well, you don't still believe the Bible, do you? And I was like, of course I believe the Bible. And she laughed at me. And I was just like, wait, you're, you're Jewish though. You believe the Bible, right? You believe like the Old Testament, but definitely not the New Testament. She's like, you really believe Jesus rose from the dead? You believe all that? I was like, of course. She goes, and she starts saying, what about this? And what about this? And what about the manuscripts? Don't you know they were copied incorrectly? Don't you know that there's more mistakes in the manuscripts than there are words in the New Testament? I'm, I'm like, um, menu what? <laughs> I was 20, I'd never heard these words before. I'd never heard that, manuscripts. I'd never heard that there were mistakes. I'd never heard errors. I was like, what do you mean there's errors in the Bible? What do you mean you can't trust what the New Testament says? So, I mean, and and her attack, one after the other after the other, I was so flabbergasted and so torn because in my heart of hearts, I knew Jesus is real. I know it. I've seen, I've seen Jesus. Like, I know you've just destroyed everything it's, I'm built on. How can I not believe the New Testament? What parts are real? What parts are not? What can I trust? What can't I trust? And, you know, I came home and I spoke to my dad. Uh, Well, we went for coffee and I was like, so what about this, dad? And what about this? And what if, you know, and I did, I took on her role. And and he, he was, he was gracious and he answered some of my questions. And then he said, you know, you should go read a book by Josh McDowell called More Than a Carpenter. And so I went and read that book, and that book changed my life, and I gave that book out to many other people. And that began my journey on apologetics. Um, And that began my journey on finding out, is what we believe true? Is the New Testament trustworthy? And, you know, I'm not sure if, if you're sitting here today and you've ever questioned this. Can you trust the New Testament? Can you trust what is in here is reliable? I'm not asking you to say, oh, uh, is Jesus' words, can you live on Jesus' words? I'm not saying that. I'm asking, 
is what the disciples wrote really recorded accurately? Is this what God wanted written down? Is this what the disciples actually recorded? Is this what we have? Is the New Testament trustworthy? Now you might ask, well, why are we even asking this question? Well, because of the staggering influence that this man, Jesus Christ, still exerts today some 2,000 years later. You know, Jesus never wrote a book, but more books have been written about him than about anyone else ever. Jesus never had any formal education, but yet universities and schools across the world are built in his honor. Most Western societies are built or have foundations in his teachings, even if they don't believe in him. You want to know how I know? Here, here's a question for you. Who knows what the golden rule is? Tell me what the golden rule is. Do unto others as you'd have done unto you, right? When did you learn this? Probably first grade, right? Teacher wants to tell you what to do. Guess what, where that comes from? Matthew chapter 7. So much for trying to take Jesus out the schools, right? Mm. Tell your teacher next time that when she says that to you. So H.G. Wells, H.G. Wells said, oops, sorry, excuse me. H.G. Wells said this on the historicity of Jesus. I'm an historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. The Bible is also a publisher's dream. Think about it. It is the number one New York Times bestseller every single year. In fact, it is the world's bestseller every year. It sells over 44 million copies a year. If you just have to sell 10 million to be off the records on a New York Times bestseller, it sells 44 million copies a year, folks. Every single year, still going. But, you know, this book has influenced culture, it's influenced history, it's influenced music and science and everything. But is it worth the weight it carries? Is the New Testament trustworthy? So, you might be sitting there thinking, well, why do I have to ask this question? You're like, Cindy, I'm a believer. I don't, you know, I, uh, I believe the New Testament. Why do I need to know this? Well, because the scripture says this in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. It says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So what we're being told in the Bible is that if somebody asks you a question, why you believe it, you should be able to answer them with gentleness, but with intelligence. You don't want to tell somebody you just have to have faith, okay? Lose that out of your vocabulary. Don't ever tell anybody that ever again, okay? Because there is science, there is history behind it, there is enough which you'll see today. Of course, to cross over the final threshold, they will have faith but it's not just based on blind faith. There's no such thing, and that's why you'll see in these scriptures as we go through it, it's not about blind faith. But in order to answer these questions today about the validity of the Bible, we're going to go through two questions. And these are the two questions that we would answer if uh, we would ask if we were looking at any ancient writing. 
they would go through these two questions. There's a lot more you could go through, but we're going to pick two today. And that is, do we have an accurate copy of the original New Testament documents? And do the original New Testament documents tell the truth? So those are the ones we're going to do. We're going to start with number one. Do we have an accurate copy of the New Testament documents? What does that mean? Are we reading what the disciples actually wrote down? This is the question. So when we ask questions of the integrity of any document of antiquity, document of antiquity simply means ancient writing, okay? It's just another word. You will, you will do, put an ancient document through certain tests to see if the validity stands. We're going to focus on these two for the test. Part A is how many documented manuscripts of, or fragments of manuscripts have survived, and what is the time difference from the, when the original was written to the surviving manuscripts. How many years from the original w was written to the copy? If you don't understand uh, manuscripts, what I'm talking about is before the printing press, they wrote on manuscripts. So an, a, a, um, a document would be written on a manuscript, and then if they wanted it copied, they would hand copy it by scribes. Scribes would hand copy it and make the amount of copies. The more important an event or the more important a document, the more copies were made, right? And so then as things were copied down over the years, when did we find them? So we're going to start with the uh, how many documented manuscripts do we have today? So let's begin by looking at and comparing it to some other ancient writings to see how many of those are around today. We'll begin with Plato. Anybody know the name Plato? Have you heard it in your life? Good. He was a famous Greek philosopher, and he had even a more famous student. This is a hard one. Let's see who gets this one. Who was his student? Aristotle. So Aristotle was his student. Now, how many years from the original document that we have of Plato's writing to the, the copies that were found, how many years is it? 1,200 years from the time the, the document was created to the surviving copies we have, it's 1,200 years after the event. Sounds like quite a lot of time, right? How many copies do we have of Plato's? Seven. It might be hard for you to see. There's only seven copies of his work. Now, you might think that sounds like a very little. <laughs> but when you're dealing with ancient writings, it's pretty standard. A pretty standard number would be between 10 and 50 to have. You'd be like, yep, that sounds about right. That's what I've, uh, it, with you dealing with ancient writings. If you have 100 to 200, that's a lot of writings. Because think about what these writings had to survive over the years. You understand? So the next one we'll go to is Homer. Now, Homer, Homer was the author of what? Who remembers? The Iliad and the Odyssey. Now, these were, uh, remember, it was set during the Greek-Trojan Wars, and it was um, basically, this was like the Bible for the Greeks, okay? So they copied this and made many, many, many copies of it. How many copies? Let's see. 1,823 copies. That is an enormous amount in ancient writing literature, all right? And what the earliest copy we have from when it was written is 500 years. Now, you might say, why is there such a big difference with this? Well, a few years ago, a couple years ago, remember we went to India on our missions trip? You know, about 18 of us here in church went. We were exciting about that. And we went to India. And when we came home, 
let's say I, I decided to put together a magazine of our trip. And we put together a magazine of our trip, and we wanted to make copies for everybody in the church and for your family members. So maybe at the time we decided to make 400 copies of the magazine, right, to give out to everybody. What would have happened had Oprah Winfrey gone on our mission with us? How many magazines would I have to make now? Maybe like 14 million or even 40 million? She is a huge following, right? So now our little magazine is 40 million strong. Do you think in 50 years' time we might still be able to find that magazine somewhere? Yeah, because there were 40 million copies. Somebody preserved it somewhere, right? So the more important an event or a person, the more copies were made. You understand? So you see the difference with the, tre- the, the Trojan Wars. So now let's talk about the New Testament. The earliest document we have, or if you want to say copy of the manuscript, that has been found is 35 years from when the original was written. Is that not a difference to begin with? Because obviously the further out you go from something, the more chance there is for mistakes and errors to be made and things to be added, right? The closer to an event, the more accurate the document. Now let's see how many surviving manuscripts do we have in Greek. 5,686 documents, manuscripts, in Greek alone. Do you see the vast difference between the others? The New Testament has incomparably superior uh, uh, manuscripts than any other ancient writing there is. And let me blow your mind a little bit further. The New Testament was translated into many languages. So we don't just have 5,686 manuscripts, we have 24,000. 24,000 manuscript copies in all of the languages combined. The documents would stand a mile and a high half if you stack them on top of each other. We have three million pages of text. So when somebody says to you, do you know there's more, st- more mistakes in it than pages, than words in the New Testament, you can say, well, of course, because the more, anytime you have more documents, guess what? You're going to find more mistakes, right? So let's talk about that for a minute. People are like, oh, there's mistakes in the Bible, there's errors, blah, blah, blah. What they actually are talking about is called textual criticism or textual variations. So if you learn that little word, when somebody throws it at you, you can be like, mm, I've heard this before. Let me just try and remember what Cindy said. It's called textual variations. So let's look at what I mean by that. You get the original manuscript copy. And then they do the first copy and the second copy. So we have two copies laying in front of us. And the first one said, God is, and the word is smudged a little bit. And we get us and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And I have copy number two, and it says, God is, and I have a J and an S and a T, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So I'm starting to make out what this word is, correct? Even with just those two copies, I I could have figured out what he's trying to say. But then you have copy three and you have copy four, each missing a little letter. But it's pretty easy to put together and see what the original said. God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Easy enough? It's called a textual variation. The New Testament documents have far fewer variations than this example. The important thing to remember is if somebody says to you, you know, there's 250,000 variations or, or differences or mistakes in the, in the manuscript copies. And, and what do you do with that? You say, yeah, I know all about it. 
The majority of them are spelling mistakes or part of the document damaged. But because we have three million pages of text, we're able to put together every single piece of it. So you can accurately know that what was supposed to be written is what is written in your Bible. What you're looking at is just imperfect copying. And every ancient document has these. It's perfectly acceptable. What is the most important thing is that the key message is never changed. Our belief doesn't get changed by a few little spelling mistakes or what was there. Any mistake in it does not affect our key message. H.G. Wells said this about Jesus. To assume that he never lived, that the accounts of his life are inventions, is more difficult and raises far more problems for the historian than to accept the essential elements of the gospel stories as fact. See, no rational uh, person would ever listen to an argument that Plato or Aristotle or Caesar Augustus or, or Alexander the Great, that they didn't live or that they didn't exist. If you were in a discussion with somebody who said, I don't believe all that stuff, you'd be like, well, you're obviously not very rational because, I mean, they teach it in the colleges, right? You've got to be rational. And yet, the document evidence that they go on are far fewer far more years in between than the original, and they still teach them in colleges. Yet the manuscript evidence of 24,000 copies of the New Testament make it incomparably superior to any other document of antiquity in the world ever, people. Honestly, to not believe that the New Testament document uh, manuscripts are accurate you'd have to throw out every ancient document there is. If you want to be a skeptic of the New Testament and the documents, then please go ahead, but make sure you throw out every ancient writing with it. Because don't stand in front of me and tell me, I can't believe this, but I can believe that. Because what do they say? It's about the science, right? Like you've got to look at the history. I mean, if you just want to throw around whatever, but if you look at the history, I mean, that's just, that's just facts. So answering question number one, do we have an, an accurate copy of the original t New Testament documents? The answer is undoubtedly yes. So, but you know, even though we have, we're able to trust the preservation of what was originally written down, doesn't mean that we can believe, right, what they wrote down. Is it true? Or is it just a fairy tale, what they wrote down? The truth test. Moving on to, do the new, original New Testament documents tell the truth? In order to discover this, what they would put an, a document through is what's called the truth test. Some people call it the honesty test. And what we, the answer is two questions. Did the authors believe what they were writing to be true? Did they believe it? And the second question uh, deals with the criterion of embarrassment. So let's look at the first part. Did the authors believe what they were writing to be true? So one of the authors that um, wrote some of the Gospels, his name was Luke. Anybody know what Gospels Luke wrote? Luke, easy one. They're good, good, good. Make, waking you up. You're like, yes, I got one right. Yes, good job. Luke and Acts. Acts. He wrote both of them. Luke, do you know what job Luke was? What was his profession? 
He was a physician. So guess what? He was an educated man. He also considered himself a little bit of a historian. That's why when Luke writes, he says things like, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, you know, and he will give the exact location, the time of year. He's giving you all of this so you can go back and look at it and say, oh yes, he was, he was the king. This was the time period. This was the city. He didn't start with once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. Okay. Why? Because he's wanting us to know that he's recording the truth. So let's see what he says in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. He's talking about Jesus. They used the eyewitness reports circling among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theopolis. So he's writing to somebody. He's like, look, I'm going to do my own investigation. I was not an eyewitness. I wasn't there firsthand. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start an investigation, and I'm going to go talk to all the eyewitnesses. Now, if you know, if you've read the Bible, you know that in a lot of Jesus' events, there were 5,000 people it was recorded. And that would just say the men. They didn't record the women and children. So you're dealing probably with 12, 13,000 people at a time in his, in his meetings. Okay? So guess what? There were a lot of people to go talk to. So when you start to write something down, there's a lot of people that could refute what you're saying, especially when it starts to get copied. You understand? What did, let's see what John wrote about it, what John said about it. First John 1. He said, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. What is he saying? He's like, listen, I touched it. I tasted it. I saw it. I was there. This is what's happened. Now, as they began to make copies of what was written, and it started circulating around, if they wrote, hey, Jesus, he fed 5,000 people, and Somebody was at that meeting, and they was like, he didn't feed 5,000. There was like 15 of us, and it was Chick-fil-A. You know? What would have happened? The circulation would have stopped. Because the next time they try to write, copy it down and give it to this church, this church would have been like, oh, my gosh, with these lies, let's throw that away. The reason why it kept circulating, kept making copies of it, was because there were so many eyewitnesses to what occurred. This was not something that they, one person was talking about. So the first question, the first answer is, did they believe what they were writing to be true? The answer is yes, they absolutely did. But you might be a skeptic and sitting there and say, well, you know, Cindy, I've got a friend who believes they were abducted by aliens, okay? So you might believe something that doesn't make it true. So what's another way we can see if these people really believed that what they were writing was the truth? That's called the criterion of embarrassment. So what historians do with this is they look at the information that was recorded and they say, did they record anything embarrassing about themselves in what they wrote down? And you think, well, I don't get the importance of this. Well, think about it. What do you see on Facebook and Instagram? Oh, mm, your best side, girl. You know, like, take that again. Take that again. Get the lighting better. You know, you, because it's human nature. We want our best side recorded, right? We do not want anything embarrassing recorded. 
So if I was telling you about my day today, if, I was, if this was important that I was telling you exactly what happened at church, and if on the way up to the stage I tripped and fell and ate some carpet, right? I would prefer to leave that out. But if I was being honest about the day and every single thing that happened, I would include it if I was being honest, right? To my detriment. So think about it. Are there anything, is anything embarrassing recorded in the Gospels? Shout it out to me. Anybody can think of anything. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, he gets called Satan by Jesus. And that's not like in a nice way either. That's not like, you know, that's not a joke. Like, hey, dude, no, that was Satan. He was calling him. What else? The disciples, they were afraid. In the boat, scaredy cats. Oh, you were a little afraid in the boat. Like, you know, they record, they were scared. You know, Jesus calls him Satan. I mean, there's so many embarrassing things that gets, he denies Jesus three times. Like, this is, this is not something you want recorded in the book. Like, forever and ever, this is going to be in there, and people are going to be talking about it. But I think the biggest one that is recorded, and that is that the woman found the empty tomb. Now, you might sit there and think, why is that even important? Well, because women in that society, in that time period, were a little bit above dogs. Do you know that a woman's testimony didn't even count in, the, in a court of law during that time? Didn't count. So you are wanting to record the most important event that's ever happened. Women found the tomb. So that's the truth. However, let's say, for argument's sake, you are making up the story. Jesus never rose from the dead. So the disciples are going to invent a resurrection because we've got to get Jesus risen from the dead, right? Let's make the story super believable. Who are we not going to use? Women. There is no way on this green earth they would have recorded that women found the tomb unless it was the truth. And that's how you can look at something and see, ah, criterion of embarrassment recorded all through the Gospels. They absolutely believed what, be, what they were writing to be true, and then they died for it. They were beheaded, they were stoned, they were whipped, they were beaten, they were crucified. They died for what they believed, and guess what? In no place ever in the books is it recorded that any of the disciples recounted their story. None of them went back on it. And I'm telling you, if a cat of nine tails had to hit your back, you would have been like, whatever it was, I'll stop. Just stop that. Like, I will change my mind. I will stop. Just stop whipping me, right? Because what does pain do? Pain makes us rethink whatever is happening in that situation. I'm sure many people would be like, I don't care. I'll, I'll change. Whatever you want me to do, I'll change my mind right now. Change it. But not one of them ever did because they 100% solidly believed in what they wrote down. So the truth, se- the truth test stands, and the answer is the New Testament trustworthy is without a doubt. But you know, you might be sitting there today and saying, well, honestly, Cindy, I don't care about Homer. I don't care about Plato. I don't care about Alexander the Great. I don't care about Caesar. I don't care about any of them. And you know what? That's okay. You don't have to. But you do have to care about Jesus. Because, see, Jesus said he is the Son of God. He is God. And he said, if you want to know the Father, 
you have to go through me. He said he is the only way to heaven. He said the most important question you can ask yourself is who do you say Jesus is? And it's been recorded that we now know that this is true. Everything is recorded, is accurately recorded what God wanted written down. In Romans 5 verse 8, he said this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, this book says that God wants a relationship with you. Jesus didn't come to earth and, you know, he didn't go to his disciples and say, hey, would you guys mind, uh, like, identifying with me in some way? Like, can you just call yourself Christians? You don't have to change anything or follow me or imitate me. You just uh, identify with me in some way. That'd be cool. No, that's not at all what is written in the Gospels. It says he wants to come in and invade your life. (laughs) He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to be involved in every single decision you make. You should be thinking about him. Guess what? Because the creator of the universe made you with a purpose in mind. How cool is it that you get to know him personally? But that's what he's looking for, a personal relationship. So what he did is he left a book that would be written with his last will and testament in it, but he also wrote it like a love letter to you. You want to know who loves you the most? Read the love letter. Because you know what you can do? is you can trust it, because the New Testament is trustworthy. So my question to you is, who do you say Jesus is? 